Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Corp is coming in, gold and a world record for the of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. to world's record. First ball in test cricket in England for Shane Moore. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. To this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Today, we're joined by a dual premiership star from the city of churches. Sean Wren was an inaugural Adelaide Crow who became a Hawk twice winning All-Australian honours and claiming a best and fairest across 167 games between 1991 and 2002. Cruelly, injuries stalked him throughout his career in the form of three knee reconstructions, but Wren was a towering presence. Figuratively and literally, and in Adelaide's 97-98 Premiership years, he was named in the best players in six of his side's eight finals. Sean, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for your time. Hey, 24, 24 years now since you and your teammates made history with the Crows' first premiership. How does it live on with you and your memories of the role that you played in it all those years ago? Um, yeah, obviously, the longer it goes, you, you feel very proud of what you achieved, but it also makes you feel very old. <laughs> it's 24 years have gone really quick, and, um, you know, so much has happened uh, within our footy club, and, and um, yeah. It just shows you just how hard premierships are to win because uh, and how lucky you are to be involved in a group that actually might get there. Yeah. Because um, you can play your whole career without it. Yeah. Well, just on that, do you enjoy reflecting or is there a part of you that actually dreads it given you, no doubt you want the current group to push on and have their success at your old club? Um, I, I think it's a bit of both with Adelaide because um, because we're such a polarising team in a, in a, in a, you know, a, a very polarising town that um, I know. I know when they got to the grand final, everybody was just. We were really hoping that they would win the premiership. In a, in a lot of ways, it, it would have allowed the club to move to a whole new group of people. That um, you know, I guess you, you continually they come back to us because we we are the ones that have won the only premiership. So yes. Um, it's it's something to cherish and be proud of, but um, I think deep down everyone would love to see the club uh, win a win another one. Yeah, I mean they, they have knocked on the door quite a few times since four preliminary final defeats, a grand final loss. You mentioned are you a are you a passionate observer, Sean, of the club's current day fortunes, or are you relatively detached these days? Um, I like to keep. I, I watch a lot of footy, um, but I'm not. I'm not certainly not at the cut and trust um, and. Uh, the discussion of what's going on within the footy club anymore, but um, yeah, I sort of like what's happening um, in regards to Adelaide, in regards to some of the young young kids that are coming through. I think there's some real talent there, and some of them have made big big steps pretty quick, and then hopefully they can continue to to improve. Um, yeah, so I, I sort of I like watching footy. I'm just not heavily involved anymore. 
Gee, the move to the Adelaide Oval was overdue, wasn't it? How much would you have loved to have played at that stadium that obviously boasts, you know, such an incredible atmosphere? Yeah, it's it is awesome. I've only I've only been to footy there a few times since it's been built because we moved away um, literally as as Adelaide Oval got taken over. And I I remember being part of the radio station in Adelaide and and you know being part of the whole discussion as to whether Adelaide Oval um, would be a good thing or not. You know, there was always negatives and positives and. Um, you know the positive that it's done to the city and the state, um, and and obviously for the footy clubs, uh, yeah, you know, it's an amazing oval. And and I suppose I live I live in New South Wales, um, but being able to watch football being played at Adelaide, and obviously the way that the rest of Australia sees Adelaide Oval and what it's done to our city, um, I think is fantastic. Now, Sean, your career, coming back to that for a moment, you didn't do things by halves, did you? I mean, your career, looking at it, is no. laced with the highest of highs, two premierships, all the individual honours, and then obviously punctuated by the lowest of lows, three knee reconstructions. She was yeah. a fair old roller coaster. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, it's, it's funny how it stays with you for a long time too because, uh, you know, when things are going well, if you've had a good couple of years or maybe two or three years or this funny feeling in the back of my, you know, in the head that something's going to go wrong because that seems to be what happened in my career. I felt like I was sort of up and about and probably at the top of my game before and they would actually chop me down. So, yeah, it was tough and, you know, we we had family, at, you know, had a young family and, and newly married and all that sort of thing. So it's not just um, it's not just yourself that's affected. It's all your greater family and the fans as well and all that sort of stuff when that happens. So, it's, yeah, it was, a, it was a funny old career. I, um, I'm paying for it now. My knees are a bit buggered, um, you know, but I certainly wanted to try and go out on my own terms regardless of the injuries I had. Um, but it is what it is, and I probably, I mean, I, I have regrets in regards to maybe how long I played, just in regards to how my knees feel now, but I, I certainly um, don't have those regrets when I look at the achievements um, that, you know, the team actually were able to achieve um, in, in those times. Yeah, Sean, your first two reconstructions came virtually back-to-back, of course. They, incredibly, they both happened in round four of 95 and 96. They both yeah. happened at Football Park. Wren came in from the side. Oh, yeah, Wren might be in trouble here. Oh, no. Let's hope that he can pull up all right. And still Wren in trouble, and they've called for the stretcher. Right knee, I think. Well, what a blow this could be for the Crows. They're champion on the ground and in all sorts of trouble. Ooh, Wren with his... Uh, hands around his knee as they're going to put him on the stretcher. Well, one of the favourites for the Brownlow medal, the best and fairest at the club last year. I think generally recognised as the outstanding ruckman in the competition. Both in the second quarter of those games too. I mean, are you yeah. superstitious? Because you coach at the time, Malcolm no, Blight. No, it's weird, eh? Yeah. <laughs> he yeah, regularly like, talks it, to the it, footy gods. Yeah, look, I know, Blighty did. And, and um, I mean, the interesting one there is that um, uh, my sister had actually got up to go to the toilet at the very same, uh, you know, both times she was actually uh, in the restroom when I actually went down and did my knee. So you there were some really weird things that happened. And um, to be honest, the way I always viewed it was I don't think that I uh, I did a great rehab. I had a lot of pain. I had patella tendon operation. I had a lot of pain under the patella, which means I probably weren't able to tick a few things off um, in my rehab for the first knee, and, and maybe I was a bit overweight. I was, you know, probably carrying uh, a little bit too much on my on my pin. So uh, I don't know. It was, when, when when I went down the second time, your, your immediate reaction is, "Geez, this this could be my career. I may never play again." Um, so it it caused me and it forced me to actually 
take on a professionalism that I'd never never been to before, and maybe that was a uh, you know the, the world works in funny ways, and I, and I felt that when we made the finals in '97 and, and we we overcame the Bulldogs that you know there was bounces of the balls or you know an umpire that didn't know whether it was a point or a goal and called it a point and all those sorts of things that um, you know I felt that it was our time and maybe maybe there were certain things that you had to go through to get to that point uh, in time. We'll, yeah. come, we'll come to those flags shortly, but just the third knee injury, Sean, I mean, as bad as the first two yeah. were, the, the third one was the one that obviously came with the significant baggage. It was 99, again at Football Park, yeah. this time in a pre-season game. I think Matty Primus was your opponent that day. And incredible yeah. to perhaps comprehend for the younger members of our audience today, but you slip on a rubber pad that was used back in the day for umpires for centre bounces and uh... Adelaide pro player down from the centre oh don't tell me Sean Wren it was a year that started tragically for the top big man in the competition Sean Wren requiring a third knee reconstruction after this incident in the Ansett Cup match against Port Adelaide he'd missed the year I guess as probably any player would, you sought compensation and you sued the the league, the Sandful, and your own your own club at the time, the Crows. Well, I mean, if you, I mean, the whole the whole point of um, <clears throat> the the suing stuff was, I mean, it was pretty well no brainer. I, mm. I had, um, uh, I mean, <laughs> and that really, I didn't really sue sue the AFL, SNFL, or the clubs. It was SGIC insurance that covered all three clubs uh, all three entities so really all they were doing is fighting over who, uh, on the, under which policy it would sit under yeah. so that um, that puts that in reality and yes it was pretty traumatic um, you know at the time I was um, you know I'd just come off my best season ever um, having overcome the two and so to be chopped down and it was it was my jumping leg this time you know I was able to carry my, my right leg so the, the jumping leg, you, you do get your strength back um, with knees pretty quickly. But what's the hardest thing to do is to convert that strength into power and, and that timing and the jump. So I had some real challenging issues um, coming back um, from that third knee reconstruction and, and, and obviously my right knee uh, carrying more of the weight. Um, had a you know had a degradation that was quicker than what was going on before. So there was a lot of factors that um, that, that situation caused that um, turned our world upside down. But yeah. um, and I guess once again, I just you know when you play footy, you want to be able to try and tick the box and go out on your own terms. And I spoke to lots of people about whether I'd play again. Um, and I guess I had you know had I had people within the club, and I had. You know, people in my family that all pretty well just said you you can go, you can do it again. And you know, they were encouraging. Whereas I probably deep down thought that I probably should pull the pin. And um, you know, I, I went on. So it was a it was a difficult time. I'm very grateful to Hawthorne that they gave me a lifeline um, to try and rejuvenate mentally um, the way I felt about my footy. And um, I had a ball, met some wonderful people was a part of a great club and I was very fortunate then to, to end my career um, in, in that fashion. And unfortunately it took your horrific incident here for them to, to take away the rubber pads. Incredible to think they were there and, and at training, I mean it wasn't like yeah. the club weren't aware of it. I mean coaches used to stand on it, wouldn't they, during training drills? So yeah, the players we would, did. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there were copies of letters that uh, and I, I'm pretty sure Reedy was the one that they'd sent copies to it was either SNFL or AFL it was all about the, the the feeling of the danger and um, yeah we often talked about it and so when we were doing circle it was bloody used to have a great drill it was just full ground drill middle run around like mad men and 
the coaches would stand on that point in the middle of the ground. So unfortunately that day I was looking to overstep a little bit to try and get to the bounce of the ball that went back Promise's way and, and the overstep allowed me to step directly on that bounce plate and uh, yeah, the rest is history. You're I, don't, less... I don't really think about it too much these days <laughs> when I start talking about it. Actually, you know, that you get me a little bit, you know, stirred up again because it was, um, uh, it was just, uh, just unfortunate. It was just a, it's a shit thing to happen. Oh, absolutely! No, I can imagine, and uh, you know, when things aren't going your way, that that happens. I imagine it was hugely traumatic for you. Um, you're listening to this is your sporting life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Well, up next, how a sticky note helped uh, power a fiercely driven Sean Wren to attack the '97 season with the Crows. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We're with Adelaide legend Sean Wren. Sean, the pre-season of 97, can you put into words all these years later just how driven you were? Can you take us inside your mind for the summer of 97 when you were coming back from these two knee reconstructions? Mm. Um, well, I guess, firstly, I, I, was a, I was a person who loved teammates and the company of teammates, especially in the weights room. Um, uh, I could switch myself on to be quite serious, but at the same time, I could switch myself off and be, um, I guess, the butt of a joke, but actually like a pretty good laugh. Um, and, and I suppose I, I knew that there were, I'd probably cut corners. You know, I spoke earlier about the fact that I probably didn't do the rehab that I should have the first time around. And, um, uh, and, and so the second time, there's a, I think, I think as an AFL footballer, there's a depth that you need to get to um, that it, it, it's, a, it's a deeper meaning in your life. And, and, and I suppose at that stage in my life and, and my career, I, I needed to find out how deep I could go. And I suppose there was a lot of teammates. Um, you know, we'd had not a lot of success. We had a pretty good team. And uh, I guess for me, it was when I was rocking up, I wanted to... Uh, share the emotion that I was feeling that I was desperate to be able to uh, get my career back on track but also have success so there was an intensity about me that I, I sort of just I made a pact to myself that I'll, I'll, I've got friendships and I will be friends with people at the right time but when I'm training we're there to train and, and, I, and I'm not there to be mates and that helped me focus away from um, getting distracted at training and, and not doing everything at 100% so I suppose that was that's the catalyst to that, that question. I imagine her by answered that the way that you would expected it. And I mentioned, I mentioned though, the sticky note before the break, you had that in your car oh, and this was the reminder, wasn't it? Yeah, it was because I mean, like anything in life, if you, if you get distracted from, from the real emotion, I think that we can go through life and not find a depth, um, you know, where, where you, where you really, you really harness the, the passion or the, the drive in, in which you, what you believe you want in life, and and so a, a reminder of that was just a speaking note to say you're not here to be mates. So that that was a way of telling me to make sure I walk through the door with the, the right attitude, the right way of um, trying to influence others, I suppose as well. Um, quite often, um, you know, probably probably got me 
uh, you know, the, the feeling that I was a bit of a grumpy bugger sometimes at training, but that was, you know, I don't think that in AFL footy and, and at that, you, you, if you don't find that intensity or a little bit of anger, like that, which is, you know, that strong bribe, then I don't think you really can achieve what you really want to do. Um, uh, and until you're up and running, I suppose, and then once you're up and running, it sort of becomes habitual. Um, but to get there to start with, I think you gotta you gotta grind yourself a bit deeper to find out what you're capable of. And I suppose that was my time. Yeah. So looking back on it, Sean, do you think you were at your best when you were angry, or or had a point to prove those triggers oh, perhaps sparked the passion? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I, as a as a young kid, I wasn't um, I, I wasn't a terribly courageous kid. I was very light, and and I you know I would say, but but what I knew is that um, I had to talk. I had to verbalise a lot to really get myself fired up to be able to then physically put myself um, on the line. And 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 that, that that rang true throughout my whole career. You know, if I wasn't talking. Um, and, and allowing to other people and, and sharing that, then it, 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 I was putting myself on the line a little bit when I was doing that, and that would actually fire me up. And then the, the competitiveness of once you felt that physicality and the competing, then then I just loved it and absolutely thrived on it. If I wasn't mentally right, I could I could easily, especially when I was younger, find myself you know uh, not 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 in the game, so so to speak. So that that for me was something I had to do through my whole career. And I needed people, <clears throat> excuse me, I needed people to help drive me on the track as well. So the team environment, you know, even in off-season, I found it very hard to train or go for a run on my own. Um, but you put somebody or put a rabbit in front of me, I, I, I was trying to chase that person down. So that's the um, the team environment was, was so special. Um, uh, for me especially. So you finally return, Sean, round five of 97, and Blighty does ease you in. I think David Pittman um, w- was the number one ruck at this stage, and you're making your way off the bench. And But by September, obviously, you had a full head of steam up, although you're wearing an enormous brace. Now, Sean, you don't see these sorts of things on the field anymore, do you? The four big straps that moved around, but mentally, no. I imagine, just a great security for you. Yeah, it was. It was a, it was a Don Joy brace, and they were cumbersome, and, uh, you know, they'd slip down your leg and all sorts of things like that. Yeah, it was, a, it was annoying, but the, the beauty is, as I found more confidence, I was able to put a smaller, lighter knee brace on and start training, and I'd only put that on for games. So in my own mind, um, all I wanted to do was get through a full season of footy without being injured, um, to, to at least tick that off. Um, so yeah, Blighty looked after me very well. He gave, um, you know, gave Pitto the, the the chance to first crack at the opposition ruckman. But he, once he wore him down a little bit, then he'd feed me into the game. And by the time we came around the finals, uh, you know, he'd actually been able to find uh, Pitto a, a spot back line. You know, David became an absolute catalyst to our, our premierships when he when we had we were, we never really had a backman that could stand a Stuart Lowe or a Tony Lockett, um, those those big guys. And um, you know, David was able to do that uh, for us and, and played a pivotal role. About you know, we I mean, it's amazing in today's footy if you look at the rotations. But Blighty took myself. And, and in the two premierships, Aaron Keating and then Ben Marsh uh, into the game, mostly sitting on the, the bench and up forward, um, plus playing David Pittman as a backman. So uh, it, we, we, we were pretty tall side. Um, but today, the, the argument around the, the table would be, have we got enough run? 
So, yeah. Um, yeah. And and just with that brace, there was, of course, the symbolic moment in that dramatic two-point prelim over the win over the Western Bulldogs, where you obviously took it off at halftime. I, I wanted to ask you, though, and you have spoken about this a lot yeah. over the years, why did you choose that moment to take it off? Um, well, it was, it was halftime of a prelim, and, <laughs> and um, uh, my theory was we'll off got through the year. Um, I felt confident with my other knee brace on at training, and, and I was running around... I hadn't had much influence in the second quarter and the, and the thing was slipping down my leg. I found myself having to stop to try and... You had to rip four straps off to try and move it up your leg and get it right. And then sometimes the straps would be too tight and it would choke your leg off. <laughs> all these things. And I, I guess, you know, looking at the scoreboard, where we were in the game, well, it, was, it was all or nothing. In a lot of ways, for, for us, it would be either going to be the year over or we were going to go through. I mean, I don't think we ever thought that we would actually win the game. Well, I mean, you know, when we went in at half time, we were, we were, we were down. Um, but yeah, it was an extraordinary game of footy and um, that was just something that, that I needed to do. And I, I don't, I mean, it, it's a lot's been said about it. I think it may have, from what I understand, have, have had more impact on people around me. I wasn't really, I wasn't really aware of, um, uh, of that at the time. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a bloody good story, and I don't, I don't mind it. Uh, um, you know, it was probably the greatest game I've ever been involved in. And- the spotlight is on him. 35 metres out. The Crows are in front. Simon! Crows are in the grand final. And um, the emotion in the rooms after that game where, um, you know, it's, it's the most emotional I've ever been with other teammates. And, you know, Pitt missed out on the... Um, uh, that game because he was suspended. So there was just some things that went on in that room. After that, getting over the line, they'll think it was sort of set us up for the, the premiership win the week after. Amazing, yeah. 22 down at the last change you were as well. And Darren Jarman goes on one of his clutch rampages. Uh, yeah. It must have been enormously exhilarating. And you touched on it, the premiership a week later against St Kilda, the first, obviously, in the club's history. What did it mean to you, your teammates and the city? Um, well, that's, I mean, that's, you know, it, it, it's impossible to explain. It's uh, something that happens that you don't even realise it's happening as it's happening. Um, the, the city, the players, me personally, think you play football and you, you you ask people that have won premierships and you want to know what was the magic, what was what was the, you know, put a finger on what was it that, that allowed you to be successful and they could never really explain it. And um, I guess it, uh, from a personal point of view, um it uh, sort of validated the career and all the sacrifice to actually be able to go back and say, well, we actually made it made it to the top. And I think it's the only time in my whole career that I felt um, uh, completely content after a season of football. Where I, you know, that, that that feel that just that beautiful feeling of of uh, you know we finished top. I'd never won a premiership any any time before that, even at junior level. Um, and then I guess for the for the footy club, Adelaide Football Club, and, and the people of South Australia that supported us, and um, you know everything that went into that footy club to start, and all the people that went before it, it was it was just a validation of a football club. It was a creation of a real football club that's got a that's got silverware, and um, and the people the people that support the Adelaide Footy Club were very proud. And and um, because the the SNFL fought for a long time, um, you know, to to maintain our players <coughs> within South Australia to fight the, the the urge to go into the AFL that was coming from Victoria. So to finally have a team in there and and, um, and get success, 
was sort of validation that the South Australia produced a lot of good footballs and, and we we're a very proud state. And Sean, yeah. just before we get to the break, to go back to back the following year against North Melbourne, I mean, just can you enlighten us the faith this group had under Blighty at the business end? Because you certainly weren't unbeatable. It was nine losses in 97, 10 losses in 98. Yeah. Yet when the whips were cracking, your group went to a level that, that couldn't be matched. Yeah, we had, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, like we, we didn't have Rue. We didn't have um, uh, Peter Vardy in the finals in the first year, so we had them very motivated. They were very motivated the second year, and and I think it was about. Well, then we got about halfway through the year, maybe in three quarters of the way through. The year, I think we had a run of six or seven uh, wins in a row to really like push us right up. Um, and you know, there was a little bit of commentary about you know who I think I can't remember who it was. But I, I'd read commentary saying that I think that you know Adelaide is is the most dangerous side because we just started to hit our straps and then there was this feeling, I think, within the group that when we really go for it. Now, obviously, we were fit. Uh, Bloody always told us that the, the style of footy we played um, was, you know, was, was designed for finals footy. So we had a belief in what we were doing um, and, and obviously his un, unwavering belief in uh, success, um, which is what Bloody was. Um, uh, you know all those sorts of things. It's just, uh, you know, but the, having said that, we were we were on a nice edge in the last round of that year. Um, we had to beat West Coast um, in the last round to guarantee the finals, and uh, there was a Geelong Melbourne game of which one I can't remember which team had to win. But if if one team won. We were safe before we played the West Coast, and if, and if the other team won, then we would have had to have beaten West Coast, which we we didn't have a great record. So um, we were all watching uh, the footy game on TV before we got on the bus to go to the game, and the right team for us won. So we knew that we were guaranteed to play finals footy before we played that game, and the the emotion that came out of the group just before we got on the bus was huge. And you know there was a relief that we. We got back, and, um, and subsequently, uh, we actually gave West Coast a really good touch-up on their home deck, which was pretty rare for us. Um, I'm not sure if I've answered all your questions there, but I'm trying to give you as much as I possibly can. <laughs> you have done beautifully, Sean. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online to catch them at tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll be back with Sean Wren right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with inaugural Crow and two-time Premiership Ruckman, Sean Wren. Sean, in an ideal world, I imagine anyway, you're a two-time Premiership player, a best and fairest winner, a South Australian. You remain a one-club player, but I guess footy throws you curveballs, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it does. Um, I, yeah, I did, I did leave Adelaide, but it was um, you know, certainly under the, the fact that I, I did believe that there was... Um, uh, there was more than one person that could have stepped into the breach um, that I left and that they're obviously coming and, and nearing the end of my career that with those people coming through and me on the way, I would say my best was behind me. I probably knew that, um, that it was going to be difficult for the club to handle my situation as well. So um, uh, for all 
different reasons and factors. I, yeah, I moved on and, and um, you know, I got another two years at another club, but the Adelaide Footy Club had Rhett Biglands coming through, um, Clarkey and Ben Marsh, and, mm. and uh, there was four of us, and no one really knew who was first ruck. So in a lot of ways, I think that um, I think I actually did the club a favour. Um, you know, I don't think that everyone can see it that way, but I think that that's the way I saw it at the time. 99 is Blighty's last year, and as we've discussed, you do your knee for the third time in that pre-season, which, I, which was obviously mentally a pretty dark period for you, and I think you asked the club to, to have some leave uh, with the family during that time. But Gary Ayres obviously comes in after Malcolm leaves. How did you get on with Ayresy in the year you spent with him? Look, I got on, I got on fine with Ayresy. There was just there was just some, some key things. Uh, I think that he, he would have handled me differently if he had his time again, and I definitely would have, I can hand on heart, say I would have handled things differently myself. Um, I think sometimes you find yourself clouded and, and in a headspace that um, you, you probably can't communicate like you would like to and, and by the time I came back um, there were a lot of things even warm ups and all that sort of thing had really changed from um, from when I went out uh, with my knee and you know it was just the thing that I think uh, a, a player and coach failure there's always two there's two ways to go about it and I think that um, with with uh, you know with hindsight um, I've certainly over my time been able to look back and go, geez, if, what if I'd said something there and that sort of thing? I, I could have definitely handled it different. Um, and I think definitely, um, you know, I've never spoken to Ezzy about this, but I'm pretty sure that Ezzy probably would have handled me differently as well, you know, because it's it's not life or death, it's just footy. And, and unfortunately, um, when you're in the middle of it, you don't see it like that. And, and um uh, I felt I needed to, to move on, um, but that's life, and, and it's all good. Uh, Gary, as aside for a moment, you, you managed to get yourself up in the season. I think you kicked four goals against the Hawks in round six, but you cop a broken cheekbone in round 10. I think it was a collision with Essendon's Mark Johnson. Uh, I imagine at that time, given the challenges you had in the preseason, et cetera, it would have been precisely the last thing you needed. Did it Did it get on top of you in the aftermath of that? Well, you've obviously done your research or you've listened to another interview because I've only ever spoken about this once before. And, and I guess this is... You know, people talk about me- mental health and football a lot. And um, that day was, was an interesting one for me because I know that I'd had so much anguish and, and so much... Um, oh, it's hard to explain, but I had, I had so much pent-up feelings about trying to overcome my knee and, and the mental uh, challenge to let yourself go, like to be on the field and just let it all go yeah. and so you're not thinking about it or doing it again because there's obviously that fear of, of going down again as a big bloke. Mm. And uh, so I, and, and I, I had, and part, part of the issue that, that, that cre- was created through, through my relationship with Gary was just the pressure that, that was forced upon me to... Um, be ready for round one in a way that I didn't want to at the time I'd planned on different ways of doing it and, and I probably started playing the game before I was actually ready I don't think I'd really ticked all the rehab boxes fully from so I was early in the season and I certainly wasn't up to scratch and um, you know my, my spot was definitely under pressure and I, and I think that they started to, you know, in a lot of way, I was being carried um, because of who I was, but not for what I was actually achieving. And so when I when I ran into Johnson that day and, and broke my jaw, uh, my cheekbone, it was 
uh, it was a it just there was just emotion just poured out of me. I, mean, I couldn't I couldn't stop it. I'd never felt like it before in my life. Um, it you know I I asked to to lay on the the bed in the physio room and and for them to shut the door and turn the lights out. And I just it just came out of me and I couldn't stop it. It just it probably flowed for five ten minutes. Um, but in a lot of ways it was a great thing because <clears throat> the six weeks that I had off. I um I went back to Robbie Carruthers, my weights coach and the rehab coach, and basically we worked for six weeks to, to try and get power back in my leg. And by the time I came back at the end of that year, it was the first time I actually felt like I could play at that level again and maybe um, have an influence out on the field. And found myself you know, got my best players a couple of times and kicked a few goals against Hawthorne, and all of a sudden I felt like I might actually have it. But it took that situation for that to to evolve. Well, thankfully, I guess, Sean, footy has changed a lot in this space, hasn't it, in, in the years since, um, which is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, it has. I mean, but they, those, those, those things are always, I mean, they're always going to be top of the agenda for people or you know, for, for players that are running around. I mean, um, you just, you just until, you, until you play at that level, knowing what goes through your head about performance and, and that before, you know, this is, I'm talking about the half an hour or hour before you step out on the ground. Um, uh, they're the times when you know good leaders or good coaches um, have the ability to go and tap someone on the show and say, hey, hey what are you thinking about or, or how are you going? And I suppose at that time um, of my life, I wasn't great at uh, sharing and, and, I, and I didn't have it. I didn't really acknowledge that I probably had um, some issues going on that I needed to deal with in regards to confidence and, and the way my mind was working at the time. So... Um, I guess I guess all of those things culminated in 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 what what resulted, you know. And if I if I go back to a situation where um, you know I was uh, you know I was set on a path on on how I was going to come back, if I'd actually put my foot down at that time and just said, no, look, I really think I need this, and not made so much pressure to be round one, then I may have ticked all those boxes, and it may not have got to that situation. So, yeah. um, you know, that's the, that's the art of coaching and. That's the art of football, um, but I don't regret anything. It, it, it's, it is what it is. It's just interesting to talk about it um, so many years after the fact. Yeah, oh, we appreciate you being so so frank with it, too, Sean. And and the move to Hawthorne, you mentioned obviously Matty Clark, Marsh Biglands coming through as well. So the Crows are in good hands. Mm. So while you perhaps weren't the same player at the Hawks, they were looking for leadership, weren't they? At the time, Paul Salmon had retired, and in fact. Didn't Fish play recruiter to get you across to Hawthorne? He did. He did. He's a great man, Fish. He was a. He's a funny man. He's got the gift of a gab, and um, between him and Chris Connolly sitting in their offices uh, together, um, you know, they're just great people. And I really love Chris Connolly. I love Swabby. Um, I love the fact that they actually. I uh, thought I could contribute to a young group, and um, although I probably didn't play my best footy, I mean there were situations where I probably brought that um, intensity into training and um, and helped help drive them on. I mean we had a great start that year. We were, we were um, you know we we hardly lost a game at the start. We faltered a bit in the middle, but we came good by the end. And um, you know at the end of the day, we were we were probably a kick or two away and a pretty bad umpiring decision away from playing uh, Brisbane in, in a grand final that mm-hmm. year. We were we were so close and I think that the, the, the best two games I played for Hawthorne were um, one was against Port Adelaide in the finals and then the, the prelim final against Essen that we lost probably and, and that was probably as good as I, I gave Hawthorne. I, I struggled a bit the next year. 
Yeah, nine-point loss. So they kicked 11-10 and Hawthorne kicked 9-13. We're talking to Sean Wren on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We'll talk life after footy with Sean right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Sean Wren has been our guest today. Hey, Sean, 31 is a pretty young retirement age, probably more so now than then, but how big was the sense of relief? Was there was there a real sense of relief when you finally made the decision? Uh, there was. Who have you been talking to? <laughs> Just assumptions. Yeah, I'll, I'll, have you heard you speak? Did you speak to Schwabby, Parker, <laughs> or Chris Collins? I'll take that as a yes. You were relieved. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, but t- yeah, you've got to tell me who you talked to first, <laughs> so I know exactly where you're heading. With. No, no, just just a, just a bit of humble research here, Sean. Okay, yeah, it was an enormous relief to the point where I stood in front of the players and I actually said to them, "I'm free." Yeah, <laughs> that was the way I explained it. So I, I just felt that um, you know it was the first time in my life I could actually put my hand up, say that will do, pig. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a relief. Yeah, and and I know we've spoken a lot about the knees over the, the course of the last half an hour or so, but the prospect of doing a, a fourth one—I mean, I imagine that would have been enormously scary. And I think you're on the record as admitting that you actually gave it a little partial tear, didn't you? The knee in your first preseason at, at Hawthorne. Uh, I did. Yeah, yeah, it was a very. Oh God! Don't take me there. It was a bad moment, yeah. um, and and it was a scary moment. But the, the reality is, I got through. But I remember chasing uh, Josh Fraser around on the MCG my last year um, with Hawthorne, and I felt I felt a couple twinges that were just not feeling good, and um, that's why I'm actually running around chasing a young bloke, and, and I could tell straight away that there's something else going on in there. So, um, look, ironically, the, the fear of four reconstructions. Was over overwhelming, and you know, talk about what goes through your head before you go out to play. I mean, we were playing on um, the early days of Marvel Stadium, and, and the surface was very hard and slippery. Um, you know, a lot of the lot of the voices in my head was just saying, "Don't do your knee, don't do your knee, don't do your knee," and and that was. You know that's trying that's trying to get yourself up to go out and play a game of AFL football, and that doesn't work long term. So. Um, but ironically, um, I have done my knee the fourth time, and um, and I live I live without uh, a cruciate ligament in my um, right leg. Right. Um, uh, and but the surgery, it's still got uh, fairly good stability. I've got bone on bone in there now, and obviously I'll probably need a uh, like a replacement one day. But uh, all in all, um, you know, I blame Jamie Charman for that. He's, he used to rag rag dog as his <laughs> rut coach at Brisbane. Um, and, and aggressively throw me around. I'm pretty sure it popped um, at a training up in Brizzy. Well, well yeah. just on that, you've been out of the AFL system since the end of 2013, I think. You did, as you say, serve as the ruck coach at the Lions, a midfield coach at, at Port Adelaide. You coached West Adelaide in, in the Sandful. Sliding doors moment, I suppose, but you interviewed for the Adelaide job, didn't you, that Neil Craig got in the end? Yeah, I did, yeah, yeah. Yeah, had a fair crack. Yeah, yeah. How did you find? How do you reflect on? How did you find the process? Oh, every, everything was. I mean, it was the greatest experience of my life. Preparing for a job like that to think that you know in your own mind that you're actually capable of doing it too. Um, but I was impatient. I was a city. I was a city. Uh, I was a city dweller with a country heart, and 
I guess the only thing that was keeping me in the city was football, and if and, and if it fully wasn't a part of my life, then uh, I really wanted to be um, bringing my kids up in the country. So there was a dilemma for me. I needed to. I didn't want to be sitting in the system as an assistant for 15 years to one day get their crack. I wanted to have a crack straight away. So, um, you know, it is what it is. I missed out, and and um, but I. You know, I, I ended up being out on a system under Lee Matthews, which was an awesome experience. Um, and then uh, Matty Primus and also Kenny at Port Adelaide. So yep. um, that on top of West Adelaide, I, I look back with very fond memories about all the people I met and uh, the players I was able to coach. I still watch a lot of them running around today. And as soon as you've got that emotional connection with them, you really enjoy watching them play footy. So, um, you know, coaching, coaching is a wonderful thing. Um, the people that have the ability to coach at the highest level, and I mean the top job. Um, they're very fortunate people because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant, um, it's a brilliant job. It's a, it's a very responsible job, but um, it's, it's. A, I don't think there could be much better. You mentioned the country heart. Uh, Adelaide is a long way from the Byron Bay hinterland, which is where we find you today. What, what, what took you up there? Yeah. You're on the land, obviously. Yeah, well, I come from a wheat and sheep farm in South Australia, very dry and marginal country. Um, yeah. My brother was taking over the farm from my dad and my mum, um, and I just, we just didn't quite make it back there. We always thought that we would, and I thought I would go back on the farm. But um, we, you know, when I did have a little sabbatical from the club in 99, that they allowed us to go away, we, we went camping and ended up at Byron. My uncle owned the Macca farm here. Um, we fell in love with the place and sort of made a made a decision that that's what we would like to do one day. And um, it took us a little while to find the right place for us. But, yeah, we've, we've had our place up here for 15 years now. And... Um, uh, yeah, love it. Like I'm a, I'm a Macca farmer. I, I manage a couple farms, so I'm pretty busy and I'm doing a lot of physical work. And I'm not sure how much longer I can keep doing it. But Tough on the knees. In regards to the environment and the, and the life I'm living underneath the trees and, and, and all that sort of thing, I um, find myself very fortunate. It's a great spot. Ah, brilliant. You're not in the Chris Hemsworth clique, are you? No, I'm not in the clique, but uh, you know, we, we, we see we see we see a lot of people around. I mean, that, the beauty of this place is that everyone lets them go about their business um, as normal people, which they are. And, um, uh, you know, it's uh, certainly done well for our property prices. Yes. And, Sean, <laughs> one one last one I wanted to ask you before we let you go. You wore 52 for the duration of your career, which is relatively unusual. In fact, probably highly unusual, given most players obviously look to move down to smaller numbers once they establish themselves like you did. Why did you stick with yep. the 52? Um, well, because that was a guarantee I was given. I um, The Crows came in... Uh, into the comp with 42 contracted players and they could go and get uh, 10 juniors out of the SNFL that they could hand pick, which is part of the, um, you know, the, the ability to come into the AFL. So there was myself and Ben Hart and Jonathan Ross and Randall Bone and, and people like that, Damien McCarthy, Damien Nello. So that these are all young lads um, that were playing SNFL at the time. I got given 52. I was lucky enough to be blooded that first year out of the Santa Phil, so um, that was my Gansey, and then I was given the option of um, another Gansey uh, at the start of the next year, and I just opted to keep with it. I really, I really like that number. I don't know why. I just did. Uh, I, I, I like the the 52. It pops up a lot, and um, uh, was quite happy to carry it through my career. I mean, ironically, you'd always love to see somebody wear your Gansey 
after you retire in your footy club, and I've never, I've never had the, the joy of being able to watch uh, anyone run around in my own jersey or even present it to anybody. So uh, um, that, that's, that's the way it is. <laughs> Fair enough, eh? Well, you'll always have the record for the most games played in 52. Anyway, hey, Sean Wren, it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure to catch up today. What a journey it's been, and the fact that you had the career you did in the face of so much adversity really does speak volumes and you will live on forever in the hearts and minds of Crows supporters for the huge role that you played in those back-to-back premierships. Well done on all you achieved and thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for those words and um, yeah, I really um, enjoyed the chat. Thanks very much. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Jump online to find tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate the life of another sporting icon. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91